Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very excited today to be joined by Dr. Monique Chisholm, who's the Undersecretary of Education for the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian Museums are based out of D.C. Their education program is going national, going global. It's been there for a while. They have a conference coming up this summer. We're going to be talking all about that. But before we do any of that, Monique, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you, Mike. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. That's fantastic to have you. As I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, I have very foundational memories of going to the Smithsonian when I was a young child. And then I've continued to enjoy the museum experiences throughout my life. A lot of those were educational. So it'll be interesting to see how you're connecting to the dots and what the vision is for Smithsonian education. The website is si.edu. Check it out. We'll be sharing information about Smithsonian education and the conference in the show notes. But to get started, we always like to hear in your own words how you got to this point in your professional life. Can you share with us your origin story? Yeah, so I have been an educator my entire professional career. And, you know, when I think back about my start in education, it actually started when I was 14. I won't go that far back, Mike. But I have been a teacher. I taught for eight years. I then went on to work at a nonprofit organization where I had a chance to focus on closing achievement gaps and culturally proficient instruction. Mm -hmm. And then went on to do state policy work at the Illinois State Board of Education. And it was there that I really had a chance to see how when you bring stakeholders together, how you can really make effective changes. I then had an opportunity to go on to the U.S. Department of Education, where I worked as the Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Office of Elementary and Secondary Education. And then right before I came to the Smithsonian, I was at an organization called the American Institutes for Research. Hmm. where we had an opportunity to take research on education and take that into practice. So what are the best evidence-based, research-based strategies to really support school improvement and improving student outcomes? Mm -hmm. And in June, it'll be two years. I will have been with the Smithsonian for two years as the Undersecretary for Education, which I feel like is the most incredible job, role, career that I've ever had. And it has given me an opportunity to combine my passion for education with reaching and connecting with people in a way that isn't, for me, laden with all of the bureaucratic things that I was experiencing previously in my positions. I'm really enjoying this opportunity. And then the Smithsonian has a long history, which maybe you could catch us up on quickly. And then Smithsonian education in particular is an initiative within the Smithsonian Institution, but it's also something that makes a lot of sense for a major cultural institution, the nation's museum, for it to have an education function makes a lot of sense. Can you catch us up on that history and you know where you are and what Smithsonian education is up to these days? Definitely. So the Smithsonian is now 176 years old. So long history. Our mission is the increase in diffusion of knowledge. Most people know, you know, the Smithsonian and will think about our museums, especially in D.C., but we actually have locations across the nation, Boston, Florida, 
We have a tropical research center in Panama. We have over 21 museums, 21 libraries. We have six education centers. So we are the world's largest research education museum complex in the world. Mm. So with all of those resources and our mission of the increase in diffusion of knowledge, the Smithsonian is a trusted source for the exploration of the intersections of discipline. So science, history, culture, art, and really having a complete understanding, not only of the American experience, but also scientific inquiry and exploration. So with Smithsonian education, one of the things that I am just so amazed by each and every day are the resources that we have, the programs, the tools. But I feel I'm really concerned that it's probably the best kept secret in the world. So part of our goal is to really make sure that educators across the nation, librarians, IT specialists, everyone knows about the Smithsonian resources and then either can take them and use them on their own or reach out to one of our 300 educators to customize a learning experience for their learning environment. Yeah. And in support of that, there is a big summit coming. The Smithsonian National Education Summit is this summer, July 18th to 20th. The theme is Together We Thrive, Fostering a Sense of Belonging. We'll get into some of the programming tracks. Looked interesting to me. I'm just a conference nerd to some extent anyway, so I'm always curious what people have going on there. It's free, just like all of your educational products are free. And that's the part that maybe we should circle back to. Yes. So the Smithsonian is, we are a quasi-government entity, right? So your tax dollars help to fund the Smithsonian. And so that makes all of our resources available for free to the public. And so we work very hard to make sure that we're providing high-quality, research-based, evidence-based work, professionalism in the way that we do our scholarship so that educators and the public, parents, community members have confidence in what they're using. We also have a team of just probably the most dynamic people that I've had a chance to work with, the Smithsonian educators, just smart, creative, innovative, passionate about what they do, who are always willing to work with groups of teachers or individual teachers to really think through learning outcomes and lessons and help to design and package learning experiences. We just had this great opportunity to do this with a team of teachers in Nebraska, where we work with them over the course of the summer and they developed some learning modules and then piloted those learning modules in their classrooms. And now it's rolling out statewide. So we really are here to really help amplify the work that teachers are doing and also connect really powerful resources. So just like the Smithsonian is the nation's museum, Smithsonian education is the nation's educational resource, resource yes. right? You know, so like you're that. Yeah, thanks. It's <laughs> winging it here. And then the theme is together we thrive, fostering a sense of belonging. Belonging is another term, you know, as a education trend spotting show, it's a term that is coming up in a lot of different ways these days. Can you catch us up a bit on how you came around to that as the theme? So when I was at AIR, I had a great opportunity to work with researchers around the science of learning and development. And the question, the age-old question of can all students thrive has been with us for a long time. And I, I think many of us who are educators or are passionate about education know and understand the answer to that is yes, right? 
But now we have a body of research from scientists across many disciplines that say with no uncertainty that given the right context, support, resources, relationships, that all students, and I want to emphasize all, all students have the potential to thrive. Mm -hmm. And part of that that I wanted to amplify through this summit this year is this sense of belonging. Because I, I think that we're really in a space right now, Mike, that concerns me, you know, with everything that's happened as a result of COVID and the disconnection that we're seeing. Yeah. The need for social emotional learning for students and for teachers and adults. Mm -hmm. The culture wars that are going on, the polarization of the nation in general. The sense of belonging, I think, is very important for students to be able to see themselves in what they're learning. Mm -hmm. know that they are seen in a respected way by their teachers, and then also feel connected to the learning experience in a way that makes them want to become a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. So that's the things that we're going to touch on in the summit. You know, how can we really foster that sense of belonging uh, so that students really feel connected to the learning experience and want to become lifelong learners? Yeah, makes sense. It takes me back to Abraham Maslow's work around the hierarchy of needs, where at a very foundational level, belonging, just like the basic level of needing nutrition and sleep and sustenance, just like we need all those things. Also, uh, Harry Harlow's monkeys, you know, the the idea of like feeling connected and feeling some sense of, of humanity and engagement with others, engagement with the community which is the other element where I was just informed of the fact that Maslow got a lot of his thinking from studying the Blackfoot mm. nation. They had a similar notion of belonging leading to self-actualization, but that self-actualization was ultimately in support of the community, mm. or in the case of the Smithsonian, perhaps in support of really rebuilding and strengthening our national tapestry so that we're all, you know, of one cloth. We have just launched our new strategic plan, which will take us through 2027. And the theme of that strategic initiative is entitled Our Shared Future. Mm -hmm. And Secretary Lonnie Bunch, who is the founding director of the African American History and Culture Museum, but now serves as the secretary of the Smithsonian, has articulated that we have a responsibility to tell the history of the nation and the American story and experience. But we also have a charge to make sure that the future that we have is better than what we have today. And we have a shared responsibility to create that shared future. And so some of the summit strands actually connect to that idea of our shared future. We have a strand that will focus on life on a sustainable planet. We also have a strand that will focus on reckoning with our racial past. We have a, a strand that will focus on STEAM education. And then because the arts are so important to improving student outcomes, we have a strand that focuses on integrated arts education. Yeah. And those all fit nicely into different buckets around trends and topics that have been showing up on this podcast over the years, the sustainability, our environmental future, that's one that, you know, probably is not bubbling up as much as perhaps it could because we've been so consumed by the pandemic and then coming out of the pandemic and now artificial intelligence is all the thing that's got everybody a buzz. But when you start thinking long-term and you start thinking about 2027 and beyond and a shared future, what world are we going to belong to and how do we make sure that world is sustainable? That's an interesting space. How is that strand typically integrated into K-12 education? Because I know your focus primarily on 
helping educators. But if we can maybe go strand by strand, Monique, it does seem like each of them has a real relevance. I like to talk about how things are zeitgeisty. These strands are very consistent with the cultural dialogue that's happening and ideally reframe it in a sense of how do we create that sense of belonging rather than engage in warfare? Who is integrating the sustainable planet into their curriculum? And what trends and themes are you noticing within that strand? Right. So the focus on environment, it ebbs and flows. And I think that it also can sometimes be ripe with political controversy, which makes it harder to talk about sometimes. But the focus for the summit, Life on a Sustainable Planet, one example of a session that we'll have is with our Smithsonian Science Education Center and teachers and professors from Howard University. And they have activated a resource from the Smithsonian Science Education Center that focuses on the United Nations Sustainable Goals. And there are these kits that they have developed that really help students develop a sustainable mindset. And it's focused on environmental justice. And so Mm. these teachers will talk about how they've used these resources in their classrooms, the projects that they're doing with the students in their own communities to focus on the environment and how that has helped them to cultivate a mindset around environmental justice. So that's one example in the session. And if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like these strands are applicable regardless of whether you're teaching math or science or uh, social studies, uh, U.S. history, you know, AP physics. Regardless, there are ways that educators are connecting your curriculum, the content that you're providing, the online resources. And, And some of them are not even online. They're accessible online, but then they're designed not to be delivered digitally. They're designed to be delivered through classrooms. Well, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up, Mike, because that's an important point. The summit will be both online, so you can join us from wherever you are in the nation or international in the world, but we will also have very special experiences for those who join in person. Mm. We can host about 300 people in person, and we're doing some things that are going to be behind the scenes. So an opportunity for the participants to go to our museums, the National Zoo, and actually work with Smithsonian educators and go like backstage. So like one of the behind the scenes experiences is focused on oceans. And so that group will be able to go to our natural history museum, have a kind of really great experience around the objects that help to support conversations around the environment and ocean. And then there's a game that they've created and developed, a tabletop game that really explores the life of a salmon. And all of the ways in which the salmon has different interactions with marine biology and biodiversity and things like that. And so that's a behind the scenes experience. And then our keynotes will be both in person and virtual. Mm -hmm. But in this new world, they're trying to think about how do we create this space for networking and learning? We're doing hybrid, both in person and virtual. Yeah, it makes sense. And I imagine ultimately... Educators use this in their classrooms with no digital supports necessarily, right? So this is a way for you to develop lesson plans and ways of engaging with your students that are tapping into Smithsonian resources, but ultimately it's still delivered primarily through physical classrooms. Yes, we have all types of modalities. So 
definitely want to empower teachers to be able to take and use the resources as they see fit and incorporate it into their design. But then we also do have some interactive games that could be student directed. So if you're having differentiated instruction and you have a group of students that need to continue their learning in a, a way, we have interactive games. We have short videos, like we have a video series called STEM in 30, which a teacher could take a 30 minute STEM directed lesson and then wrap that with some unit, you know, questions or inquiry. So mm -hmm. there's, we have all types of different ways in which we can deliver content for educators. Yeah, makes sense. I was pleased to see that you included the A in STEAM, yes, which is the arts. And then the arts also got back in again around integrated arts education. When I think about the Smithsonian, again, the physical experience of being there, I do think of it as very interactive. The experience is curated, but it expects you to be an active participant in what you're going through. And then best case, you know, I'm the parent of a four-year-old, best case you come home with something that you made that you then can feel connected to that ideally build some of that self-esteem and maybe that maker mindset yes. that is increasingly relevant as the world of work is changing. Can you talk a bit about arts education and how it's weaved in to both the STEM side of things in STEAM and then also how you're thinking about integrating arts really across everything that happens? Yeah, I think one of the best examples is that if you go to our National Portrait Gallery, there's this amazing mural about the environment and what would happen if we continue on the path of not taking care of our country, of our environment. And so it's a mural, it's a picture, but you have a chance then to talk about science. You have a chance to talk about history. You have a chance to talk about culture. And so we could do the same thing with music. We have the world's largest collection of music and music assets. And you could do it again if you think about design. Um, in design thinking. And so mm -hmm. we're highlighting a relationship that came to, into existence between the Cinder Play Foundation and LA Unified School District mm. during the pandemic, where the Cinder Play Foundation gave LA students free instruments and then provided them with free music lessons. And so they'll really talk about how this public private partnership between the district and the foundation help to support the learning goals of students during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, there's research that shows that students who are exposed to an arts, rich, engaged learning actually improve academic outcomes and sense of belonging and relationships within their environment, the learning environment. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I went to a performing arts high school. Arts integration is such an important part of kind of my approach as an educator. It becomes a kind of a duh moment for me. But I do have to remember that people have to make important decisions about resources and funding for education. And sometimes you have to make difficult decisions about what to keep and what to cut. Right. So what we want to do through this strand of integrated arts education is really emphasize that we can't cut the arts out of education because it's so essential to ensuring that students have successful outcomes and increased academic achievement. So, yeah, it makes sense, you know, and it is a place where the integrated part is, is important because I've heard the same word used around some challenges around social and emotional learning. How do you integrate that? 
how do you integrate STEM? How do you get rising learners to think cross-disciplinary, you know, think across disciplines, think across domains so that, you know, I do wind up talking about the future of work a lot on the show, you know, and I made it this far without talking about AI, but now I'm coming back around to it, come to think of it, because, you know, the world that our students are going to be working in when they're in their 20s, 30s and beyond is going to be very different than the one that we grew up in. And how do we think ahead to what they're going to need? And to me, that's where it does come back both to relevance and context, you know, like, and I think the Smithsonian is doing, Smithsonian education is doing a nice job with both in that the relevance is actually getting your hands on a musical instrument or being able to engage with the mural or think differently about how, wow, this is a real thing. This exists in the world. It's not just in a textbook. It's, it, it's more than that. And then the context, I think, is the other piece that becomes huge. And that is perhaps where we get more to the reckoning with our racial past too, where what context is actually provided, how much information is included or excluded from a narrative, and then how do you give that sense of belonging while still being sensitive to whatever critiques or concerns or minefields might be out there. How are you thinking about that aspect of the conversation, reckoning with our racial past and integrating that into a very polarized kind of tense set of dynamics that exists in the world of education today? Yes. So reckoning with our racial past is one of our key initiatives at the Smithsonian. And so we're bringing that into the summit this year and we're doing it in several ways. So first Malik Pancholi, who you might know, he's a actor, author, activist is joining us as a keynote. And his focus has really been on bullying, specifically focusing on the Asian and American community. And he's also been a strong supporter and advocate for LGBTQ students. And so mm -hmm. we're introducing that into the conversation in that way. Dr. Pamela Cantor, who's one of the key leading researchers for the science of learning and development, mm. will also be talking about this sense of belonging and will follow that session with a student panel, a diverse student panel, who will then share with us their experiences from different types of identity characteristics that they want to use and identify their experiences mm -hmm. in school. And then we will have some of our Smithsonian curators, historians, and educators also talking about resources and content that is available to support learning in the classroom. You know, the conversations around race, we, we know that I think it's 18 states now have legislation that has passed that prohibits the teaching of content either around gender, sex, race, racism, gender identity. Yeah. So I, I don't say this in a flippant manner because I know how difficult it is for educators in these states and the chilling effect that this legislation can have. But we have an absolute responsibility to teach a complete, full, and accurate history. And we want to make sure that teachers are equipped to do that in a way that they feel empowered, that they feel like they have the information that they need to do that and have those conversations, and that the information is complete and accurate. So we have a responsibility to do that, and, mm -hmm. and we'll continue to do that. That's why it's important that we have this stream. Yeah. And it's one where what you don't talk about, what you're not 
able to engage with in some ways signals as much about you as an educator or an institution as what you're okay to talk about. And in some ways nowadays, it's almost more essential to equip educators with the tools to even have the conversation right. where when you know there's going to be a little bit of disagreement, there's another word for that. It's called discourse. And discourse is really what this nation has been founded on. Yes. And it's almost like we're losing the ability to have those types of conversations. And it does feel like institutions like yours can help provide that additional support because we all know our teachers are heroic frontline workers who get in there over and over again to kind of do the good work, but they need help. And yeah. that's why I, you know, I think it's important for them to know that institutions like yours are out there for them. Can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. Our whole approach is not about what to think. It's really about helping teachers develop thinking routines so that learners become critical thinkers. And we have primary source documents, right? So it's, we're not drawing conclusions, but what we can help do is we can help you take a primary source document and compare and contrast that to another primary source document. We can help take an object and put that in context of the cultural historical significance of it and ask students to really have an inquiry-based experience about that object. Mm -hmm. Our approach is really not about what to think. It really is to help to develop critical thinking skills. The other thing that I want to offer is that, you know, the beautiful thing about the American story is that there's so many moments of joy also. You know, so the Smithsonian is uniquely positioned to have a story about space exploration and women's history. Mm -hmm. You know, you can take a story that is uniquely American, like Neil Armstrong going to the moon, and you can talk about the spacesuit and the, the seamstresses that design the mm. spacesuit. You know, they've been left out of the narrative of that story. You can also talk about the Black women who are the human calculators. Right help to chart the path to space. And so, you know, this is a joyful story and it's it's more full and complete when you tell the complete story and a diversified story. And it doesn't take anything away from Neil Armstrong when we talk about the seamstresses or the mathematicians, you know, mm -hmm. it really just enhances. So that's how the Smithsonian helps bring history alive in a way that tells a complete and accurate story. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of some of the conversations I've had of late around leadership and how the new model of leader needs to be able to show vulnerability. And by showing that vulnerability and owning the entirety of the conversation, including the harder parts, that's the type of leadership that everyone, not just the rising generations, but certainly the rising generations are, are looking for. It does feel like we're kind of faced with that challenge nowadays for you as a leader and for you as an educator, you know, there might be other educators out there, other folks who are embarking on a career, whether it's in a classroom or in support of education. I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective, advice, suggestions, things you've learned over the course of your career that you think might be helpful for others who are on a similar journey. That's a great question. I am at a point in my career and life where I do have a lot of lessons learned and the reflections. I think the most important thing that I have learned is that, you know, sometimes you don't always see for yourself the things that you can accomplish and achieve. 
And there are other people around you who see it before you do. And so I think what I would offer is that, you know, don't be afraid to take chances. Hopefully you'll be in an environment where, you know, taking chances and failing is actually okay. Because it's sometimes through the process of not succeeding or not accomplishing what you're trying to do, that you actually have the greatest growth and learning. So I think that's what I would offer across the spectrum is that look for places that encourage vulnerability and taking chances and, you know, aren't looking for perfection, but then also be willing to go outside of what you have conceived of for yourself to experience things that maybe you don't have the training in, but people see that you have the skill and talent to do. Yeah. Reminds me of the Nelson Mandela quote, I never lose, I either win or learn. And it is a place where, you know, you do learn more from when you miss. And if you miss, you learn how to adjust so that maybe you don't miss next time. Right. The sports phrase that I wind up saying a lot here is you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, which is actually not technically correct, but you get what I mean, which is like, (laughs) I like to say, you don't make shots you don't take. So right. you you got to actually get out there, get out into the fray. And that's what we're encouraging folks to do. Check out si.edu and check out the conference that Monique and team will be running this July. As we're getting close to conclusion here, I didn't get to ask you about my other pet technology, which is AR and VR. Augmented reality is always something that we think would work great in a museum. As someone who's close to the museum side, and then it's thinking about those educational contexts. Any thoughts on what's new and emerging on the media and interactive side? We have some great virtual reality, virtual tours for museums, and we're doing some gaming. We're exploring and experimenting in that space with the gaming. We are actually having robust conversations right now about AI. You know, I'm fascinated as somebody who's just kind of at the beginning of this learning cycle about the possibilities of AI. Absolutely fascinated. I think that it could help to transform things in so many different ways, but also a little concerned to tell you the truth. You know, there's some evidence that the programming is following some of the bias that exists in society already. And, you know, I think if we're going to take something as powerful as AI and use it to help us advance, then let's make sure that we're not perpetuating bias and stereotypes and discrimination through this process too. So lots to chew on, perhaps future appearances on Trending in Ed to go deeper into some or all of this. It's been amazing having Dr. Monique Chisholm with us here today. She's the Undersecretary of Education for the Smithsonian Institution. Monique, as we're wrapping up here, folks about to head back to the rest of their lives. Do you have any Closing thoughts, takeaways, things that people might be able to chew on as we wrap up here. I want to say thank you to all the educators across the nation today and every day for all the work they do. And just invite people to come and join us in July for the summit, either in person or online. Reach out to us as we are here to help to support the important work that you are doing. Thank you, Mike, for this opportunity. Awesome. It was great to have you. Dr. Monique Chisholm is the Undersecretary of Education for the Smithsonian Institution, si.edu. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. 